Have you ever wondered why you aren't getting the results, relationships, or life that you want, or why some of your clients run into the same problems? I'm certified life coach, Lindsay Pullman, and I'm here to tell you that there's nothing wrong with you. There's just more to understand about the multifaceted beauty of the human body. I believe that being trauma-informed is an essential standard of care for coaches, and I'm here to support life coaches who recognize that there is so much more than mindset work when it comes to supporting ourselves and our clients responsibly. So glad you're here. Come on in. This is part one of a two-part series where I get perhaps more vulnerable than I ever have about some of the recent stuff I've been working through with respect to patriarchy and high-demand religions. Have a listen, enjoy, and make sure you stay tuned for part two. Hello there. So good having you here with me today. Today's episode feels, it feels like a vulnerable one. I'm going to be completely straight with you, which surprises me because when I consider some of the work I initially did as a coach, when I started out as coaching, which I'm still doing, which is supporting women whose husbands look at porn, whether there's betrayal trauma or not. My husband and I started a podcast and I just thought, I don't think we can get much more out in the open than that. And the news that I have to share with you today for me, not for everybody, but for me, this trumps that easily. (laughs) Now, I've been sharing a lot on social media the past few weeks about grief because I think it's a big component of coaching that gets missed, which I talked about in the last few episodes. And this last year and a half has been one of grief for me. I've been grieving so much. And I've shared, while I've shared online, I have been grieving or stuff like that here and there. I haven't been as specific about it. And I plan to get a little bit more specific during this podcast episode, which is part of why it feels a little scary to share. So I'm sharing this because mainly because I feel intuitively called to. It feels like this is what God wants me to do, which is be more vulnerable about the stuff that I've been working through. And what I've witnessed after working for over four years, coaching women through their betrayal trauma, what I've noticed are some stark parallels of women experiencing betrayal trauma from spouses doing things and people and women experiencing betrayal trauma from things that they've learned from their high demand religions. And so after coaching women for (laughs) the time that I did coach them with respect to porn use, What I noticed is, of course, the betrayal is a really tough thing. That is a huge thing to recover from when there's betrayal in those deep, intimate relationships. And another thing that's at the root of a lot of this suffering is um, a set of belief systems imposed on us by past patriarchal structures, past and current. And having awareness of this context facilitates a lot of healing for women struggling with their husband's porn use. The context of understanding why we believe what we believe about our body, why we believe what we believe if our husband is out looking at porn, why it makes sense that we would respond this way. To me, it helps them to grieve. It helps them to process. It helps the context of understanding the systems behind the belief systems that they have that have been causing so much pain, it feels, it makes it easier to release wounds and it really supports them in reframing a lot of the belief systems that have been keeping them stuck or that they've just 
where they've just been in so much fear and pain. And so it pains me to say this, but again, these belief systems are rooted deeply in patriarchal structures that we've been born into as women for centuries and even millennia. And you might be thinking, yeah, I've heard this term patriarchy over it. Just another buzzword that will die off. And I hope if it does die off, I hope it dies off because the effects of it die off. I hope it dies off with the effects of the system. But on another note, I'm going to share what it is and just how I think of it for purposes of this podcast episode, because I think that's another reason people roll their eyes when they hear these some of this terminology. And so I feel like sharing and educating will help you see how I'm thinking about it for purposes of this podcast episode. Okay. So the Oxford Dictionary defines patriarchy as a system of society or government in which the father or eldest male is head of the family and descent is reckoned through the male line. Okay. Another definition, a system of society or government in which men hold the power and women are largely excluded from it. Another definition, a society or community organized on patriarchal lines. Another definition that I really like is this one I'm going to read. Patriarchy is a system of relationships, beliefs, and values embedded in political, social, and economic systems that structure gender inequality between men and women. Attributes seen as, quote, feminine or pertaining to women are undervalued, while attributes regarded as masculine or pertaining to men are privileged. And the big thing to focus on here, in my opinion, is the word system. And this is a system that we are focused on for today, whereby men get, quote, unearned rewards, privileges, and benefit for just being men, and that those come at the expense of women. So again, a system where men get unearned rewards, privileges, and benefit for just being men, and that those come at the expense of women. So what patriarchy is not, this is what I'm going to just share, is while we're focusing on a system that exists in our society that was created by men and continues to be upheld by men and women, not all men, not all women, but it does get upheld by a fair amount of women as well, this doesn't mean I'm referring to all men. So when we say things like smash the patriarchy or dismantle it, we're not talking about your husband or your brother or your dad. We're referring to a system of injustice where men are disproportionately benefiting more than women. There is more to explain around this, who benefits, how much. There is so much deep work to understand here, which is really fascinating. And I go into it a little bit deeper in, in some of my programs, but for now, I just want to share that with you. So back to these structures and systems, you may think differently, which makes sense given your unique set of genetics experiences, brain mapping, and for purposes of this episode, privilege, okay? And I'm saying you may think differently because as I offer this, some of you are, might be agreeing and being like, yes, I see this all the time. And some of you might be thinking like, not me. No, not really. I don't see that. I feel very you know, powerful in the work that I'm doing and whatnot. And I think one thing that does separate this out a little bit for people is the term privilege. Privilege refers to certain social advantages, benefits, or degrees of prestige and respect that an individual has by virtue of belonging to certain social identity groups. So within American and other Western societies, these privileged social identities of people who have been historically occupied um, positions of dominance over others included whites, males, heterosexuals, Christians, and the wealthy, among others. Okay, so Generally speaking, 
We live in a country created in a system of puritanical values where people who identify as white Christian heterosexuals may experience advantages in society that they were just born into without even really needing to think about it. Okay. So if someone is sharing with you about how they might be feeling somewhat oppressed or unheard in their religion and you're in the same religion, you're like, yeah, I don't see it that way. That doesn't actually mean that that's not true. Okay. And so just think about, I think just the most simple example might be of like when a white person gets pulled over versus a black person, right? When a white person gets pulled over, we might be thinking, oh crap, I'm going to get a fine. I'm going to be late. I hope I don't get a ticket type thing. And as a black person, it's very different. Children are taught in homes what to do with their hands, how to sit, how to respond. And it takes so much more energy for the same thing happening. They're both getting pulled over, but there's so much more energy expenditure for people in different, more marginalized groups. And so for people who identify differently, they have to know more. And they may know more about white privilege than we do as white people because they constantly need to be aware and even hypervigilant to survive and thrive, okay? So as my mentor says, we don't need to assign morality or lack of morality to privilege. You don't need to feel bad if you identify as straight, white, Christian. It's just something to be aware of so that when we experience the world or any situation, even if you were in the same room together, that it's going to be a different experience than other people. And we don't need to discount other people's experiences simply because it's not within the norms of what you experience or what you generally see within your cultural or privileged bubble. There's so much more I could talk to you about this, but just in the name of time, I'm going to leave it there. The idea really is just for you to start seeing that like with respect to your religion, just because you see something differently doesn't mean that isn't someone else's experience for so many reasons. If you want to learn more about this, I do have a great little program that goes deeper into privilege, oppression, intersectionality, and feminism with respect to high demand religion on my website. It's just, it's called Feminism 101 for Christians. It's a great resource if you're looking to learn a bit, a little bit more about this. But my point is, in all of this is that no matter where you are on the field of life, if you are a woman, you are likely experiencing small or large scale oppression and privilege in your own unique way simply because of being a woman. And if you are a woman in a high demand religion, there's a flavor of oppression that you might not even see. So if you are noticing that some people are seeing it everywhere and you're not, there's no right or wrong. It doesn't mean you need to. For me, a minimum baseline is just to at least try to open up to the idea that just because you think about it differently doesn't mean it isn't true for other people. If you identify with any of this, it's okay and necessary for you to validate your unique experience as a woman or man in these structures and systems so that you can have your own clarity and healing if that's what you want, okay? And I always like to drive home the point too that like emotions aren't a zero-sum game, privilege isn't, and oppression isn't, and pain is not a zero-sum game because I think sometimes we're afraid to consider ourselves as Let's, if you identify as like a privileged white heterosexual Christian, an interesting part of all of this conditioning is that we've been conditioned to, that we shouldn't feel bad 
about things. And so a common trait I see is really discounting our pain, but then we're not able to heal from it the way that we're meant to. And so I always just like to offer the truth that pain isn't a zero-sum game. So you're feeling pain with respect to your lived experience. First of all, it's not a problem and it doesn't take away from others getting to feel theirs too. It's okay to feel bad. It's okay to be sad or grieve over your unique human experience. I also think that it's really good to understand intersectionality too, because while all women may experience oppression to some extent due to the gender that they identify with or have claimed, it isn't a broad stroke of communal suffering where we all feel the suffering to the same degree. It's more intricate and multifaceted than that. And so we can be open to the idea that it's still different for other people And I think one example of that, I know some people say that cancer is the great equalizer. It doesn't discriminate by race or anything like that. But as far as cancer survival rates and cancer patient care and things like that, it actually is different based on race and things like that. And so there is intersectionality at play within all these different cultures and subcultures. And I think it's just something to be aware of. Although our privilege isn't something we need to attach morality to, I do see attaining this awareness at a minimum, a form of social morality to be aware that things are different for others. I know that I said that above, it's just something I wanted to restate because this awareness draws empathy and understanding and love, in my opinion. My opinion is also that high demand religions generally are some of the biggest proponents of maintaining these damaging systems, whether they know it or not. And while a system is a system, my concern is human life and vitality. So on the receiving end of these systems put in place are literal human beings, life, life. It's a human right to feel safe, alive and free in your life. And these systems are doing the opposite for a disproportionate amount of people. And whether it's malicious or inadvertent is somewhat irrelevant because, and while that is happening, people are in pain. Okay. People are suffering in silence. And so I know that change is happening and these systems are adjusting and adapting and things like that. The heartbreak for me comes in where, and this is where I've spent a lot of time grieving, is around this idea that while yes, I accept that this system was put into place a long time ago, I accept that it has done a lot of damage to women and men really, which be a whole other episode. I accept that as a society, we're becoming more aware and breaking down injustice injustices that we see. The hardest thing for me to accept right now, which I feel like I have accepted it, and this is where the grief has come in, is the research that shows that some high demand religions are 50 years behind with respect to social justice issues. And I do believe there are too many lives at stake right now to wait. And I think sometimes when we see suffering, we're counseled to wait and have faith. And for me, there are just too many people suffering to wait for systems and organizations to catch up. I don't want to wait for another generation of people to suffer and be traumatized and isolated with respect to who they are around their identity until full egalitarianism arrives. Hey, people are suffering now. They need help now. And when I talk about lives being at stake, lives as in life and death lives. And the other thing I mean is aliveness. Hey, quality of being alive matters too. 
We are not meant to be robotic instruments here on this earth. We are meant to explore and expand in our creativity, our divinity, our godly power by experiencing life here, not by simply being quiet, acquiescent, blind faith, adhering to what you're told and waiting it out. Okay. And there are ways to wait things out too, right? I think there's a way to do what you know to do. And then there are ways to trust and wait. Another thing that we see as being women in high demand religion, and I'm not saying this, that men don't experience this as well. I just feel like it's a whole different flavor that could be talked on a whole different course, a whole different flavor, a whole different podcast episode. There are just so many paradoxes that we are told to as women, right? In high demand religions, we have our own specific layer or flavor that's confusing to say the least, okay? It's confusing, it's conflicting, it's, and it keeps us frozen in indecision or in or operating in a functional freeze where we operate as instruments, but we're not alive, okay? Now, this idea of holding too many paradoxes isn't new for us as women. We've been taught for centuries to straddle two sides of the same fence at all the time and to be willing and able and capable to show up on both sides, even if we aren't comfortable. And what ends up usually happening is, this, is if we find a way to straddle both, we're criticized. And if we go on one side, we're criticized. And if we go on the other side, also criticized. I think a big classic paradox is women just being told to be like zipped up and almost like asexual on the street and in public. And then once they get married, suddenly just open up to their sexuality and their sensuality but behind closed doors. And that's not how our body works. And these paradoxes, they've been created by men, promulgated by both men and women for thousands of years. It's no wonder so many of us are left feeling confused, anxious, depressed, or cut off from letting ourselves feel anything. Instead, we stay busy, we ignore our thoughts, we become more robotic, and that's actually going against our true nature. That's going against how we came. We see many of these ideas across Western culture and in high demand religions, the flavored paradoxical layers can also look like this. Maybe you've been encouraged to ask questions in your high demand religion, but you've also been told that you can only ask certain questions of God. Okay. Maybe you've been taught not to question certain teachings, but we're also taught to develop our spirituality through questioning and growth as long as it fits in with certain boundaries, right? So it's just confusing. These contradictory things that we're taught, it can just be confusing. And seriously, I, when I was putting this, episode together, I have a list of 30 different things, maybe even more. And I was like, oh my gosh, I actually am re-recording this because the first episode I recorded ended up being an hour and a half long. So I'm trying to cut it down. But there's just so many that a lot of women do experience. And I go deeper into in the program that I'm going to tell you about at the end of this podcast episode. Like, I think a big one for me too, is perhaps you've been told that you're an equal in the eyes of God with all of his children, yet you identify as LGBTQ. And it's been made clear that you're equal and you're welcome to show up as an equal, as long as you present yourself in a specific way, which oftentimes doesn't include the option of you showing up as your wholehearted self. It's like being invited to dinner on very specific terms. And if you break those terms, you have to sit in a different room. Yet you're told this is equal. Okay, that's not equal. And then we could also just talk about women being told that we're equal as well. If we're told... In certain religions, we're even told that we hold the priesthood. Okay, we're told that we hold that. But until that is shown, 
where women are in a space where they're also making decisions for the lives of other women. And again, this is feels so it still feels awkward for me to talk about this so openly, but I think the active church is made up of more than 50% women, yet who's making decision for women? Yet we're being told that we're equals, but we're not treated that way. Okay? And for some of you you might think, "No, I actually do feel like I'm very much treated like an equal. And if that's your experience, I believe you for you. The idea is just to recognize that sometimes we, based on our particular stakes or things like that, it's more of a roulette game. And sometimes that can also have something to do with our privilege as well. Okay. And so sometimes as white women, even though in some ways we are being oppressed, we are still benefiting from these systems. And so it's harder to see that other people's experiences might be different. I could keep going, but I'm just going to pause and talk about why we don't act when we see these problems, why we don't make changes for ourselves or we don't take any steps to do anything about it. Hey, come and join us in this revolution. Gotta crawl before we walk this revolution. So are you ready to become a part of our forever community of trauma-informed coaches? Go to lindsaypullman.com and see if my advanced certification is a fit for you. And we ready to heal is what we pursuing. Coaches change lives, it's what we doing. This the place to be, no need to panic see. We got each other's backs in this healing community. Wanna know the facts? It's simple. When we coming together, yeah, we got unity. 